Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. everybody. It's good to see you. Am I on? Am I good to go? Okay. Thanks. I know the front row just got me. Yeah, there we go. Okay, cool. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I'm, I'm uh, glad to be back in the pulpit. It's been a few weeks, um, and uh, we've, we've got uh, a lot to cover today, so uh, we're going to get right into it. We're going to actually be switching gears and we've been in Acts for a year, and we're going we're gonna to switch gears momentarily, and we're going to do a study of the book of Jonah. I know I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it at you. I'm surprising some of you. You thought we were going to get into Acts chapter 13 today. But uh, uh, I think that we need the book of Jonah, um, and we'll talk about, about why here in a moment. I, I want to first of all say, uh, for those of you who are, are on the fence about coming to the retreat, I know that there are some of you that that maybe you can't come because it's a financial decision, uh, you, you can't make it, uh, I want to make sure that you, you know that you need to come talk to us about that because we would, we would like to figure out a way to get you to retreat. And so if there's something that's getting in the way, a hurdle of any sort, uh, let's talk about that before you, you just decide that you're not coming. We really would love to see everybody there. Even if you're a visitor, even if you feel like uh, you, you're not like in yet, um, well, you're in. We, we want you there. And it would be a, a time of inspiration for you, uh, uh, a time of envisioning, we hope, for you as well, uh, not just for the folks who've been uh, a part of Kaya for a while. Okay? Agreed? Yeah? Uh, I'm going to pray again because I'm a little bit intimidated by this, this move I'm making here. Um, it was, uh, I was torn over it. Uh, I, I like the idea of continue on, continuing on in Acts. I've already laid the groundwork for that. I would have really enjoyed getting into Acts chapter 13. Uh, we're about to get, in, in Acts 13, we're about to get into the, really the most fun part of Acts, uh, where God is growing His church. The, the missions movement begins at, from, from chapter 13 on through the end of the book. And, and so it is a really exciting time in that study, and I, and I didn't want to stop, uh, but I felt like it was pressing. And the reason that I felt like it was pressing, for those of you who are, who are a common part of this family and you, you, you've been around a while you know that we've faced a lot of, of hardship and a spiritual attack over the last few months. And, uh, and I don't need to get into specifics. Again, you know, you, you've been uh, witness to uh, family, friends, who, uh, who've committed themselves to Jesus Christ. They've said, I want to follow Christ with my whole life. And they've begun to plant roots and they've allowed themselves to be uprooted for some reason. And, and again, like, ministries go through seasons like this. Uh, where, where a ministry sees fruit. They see bounty. They see God at work in their midst. And Satan has a response for that. Satan has a, a strategy. It give, takes him a little bit of time to catch on to what God is doing. Uh, it takes him a while to see, oh, uh, this Bible study thing is beginning to work. And we're seeing it have effect in people's lives. Oh, this, this relationship building in so-and-so's work or so-and-so's uh, classroom is beginning to take effect. And we're seeing, I'm seeing God working. And so now I need to come up with a counter strategy in response to what God is doing. Well, now we're in that season, friends. We're in that season. And over the last few weeks, we've seen those who've committed themselves, who've planted themselves along the stream, be uprooted by, by a, a plethora, okay, a myriad of different reasons, different struggles, different, different issues, some of which seem very simplistic. Like how, how could they walk away for that reason? For others, and there's some of you in this room who are just riding that fence even right now. You're counting the costs even right now. You're, you're here and you're present, but there's something in your heart and in your flesh that says, run away. And that's why we need Jonah. And I guess, I guess it's my, a lot of times I'm not really sure what my responsibilities are as a pastor, if I'm going to be honest with you. 
It is a job that I've never been comfortable with. Um, I think it's my responsibility uh, to exercise this kind of liberty. And so we're calling this short series Set Us Free. Okay, Set Us Free. And it, and it is appropriate in that Jonah is known as the missionary prophet. He's known as the missionary prophet. In other words, he's really the first prophet we see in the Old Testament who goes on a missions trip that God wants to use in this particular way. And so they, they refer to him as the missionary prophet. And I think it is appropriate for us to take a moment to look at the missionary prophet's life before we get into the part of Acts that is the most mission-minded. Because we all need an opportunity to count the costs the same way that Jonah did. Now, we're also calling it a character study of Jonah because I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time breaking down at an LFBI level the minutia. There's so much to say about this short four-chapter book that I'm going to leave out because I want to focus on Jonah's character specifically. And I want us to take this time as an opportunity to consider how we are like Jonah in so many ways. At the calling of the Lord, at the hearing of His voice, at the challenging and the trials that come with being a Christian, what is it in our lives that cause us to second guess or to step back or to have fear or to doubt? What are the things in our lives that give us the propensity to run away? And that's what Jonah is going to cause us to question. Many of us have been facing, and, and maybe we haven't even admitted it yet. Maybe you haven't had that counseling moment. Maybe you haven't come to your Bible study leader and, 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 and confessed these things, but many of us have been facing old enemies. Right? Temptations and trials that we thought we've already overcome. Old habits, old friends, old feelings that we thought we had moved out of our apartment, and then we found out they still had the keys. Some of us are facing struggles that we never have seen before, situations that don't look familiar to us, and we don't know how to navigate them. For many of us here today, as well as those who may not be here with us, Satan, the world, and our flesh have cornered us and, le and left us feeling hopeless. And so, so what do we need from the book of Jonah? That's what we're going to ask ourselves. Is this already so sober? And heavy, gosh, guys, I'm sorry that I do this to you. Sometimes I ask myself, am I Kenny Morgan? <laughs> I'm like the young, white, millennial Kenny Morgan. Y'all know he's a cutthroat, right? So I think yeah, that's, a, that's a good thing, I guess. So, but it is a little bit sober. And I, and I want to sober us up because choosing to be a missionary is a sober thing. And when I say missionary, what I mean is a person willing to go. You know that, right? A person willing to go across the street, across the classroom, across the city, across the country, across the world. A missionary is anyone willing to go to preach the gospel. So why do we need Jonah? The book of Jonah is a story of a rescue mission. The story of a rescue mission. And some of you might say to yourself, oh, I know that rescue mission. Jonah was supposed to go to the Ninevites and, and warn them of God's impeding judgment. Okay, impending judgment. He was supposed to warn them, and he was going on a rescue mission. Ah, no, no, no. That's not actually the primary mission. That is not the primary rescue mission that we see in Jonah. Now, now, now we also might say to ourselves, oh, yeah, I know. Oh, I know Jonah. Yeah. That's the dude that needed rescuing from the storm, Right? And God needed to rescue him from that storm. He was out on the boat. I know that story. He needed to be rescued. No, nope. that's, that's not the primary rescue mission of the book of Jonah. Oh, yeah, Jonah, he need, he's the one that needed to be rescued from the belly of the whale. I know that, that story. That's a fun story. I learned that in Sunday school. But Jonah, Jonah didn't need rescuing from the belly of the whale. See, while all those things are true, the storm, the fish, and even the gourd, those are all actually just agents intended to set him free from himself. See, Jonah didn't need...
rescuing from the belly of the whale. Jonah needed rescuing from his thoughts, emotions, prejudice, bigotry, failures, fears of every sort. See, Jonah, he needed rescuing from himself. He didn't need rescuing from him, his circumstances. See, a lot of us think that the answer to our problems is rescuing from our circumstances, right? A lot of you are so obsessed with your current situation or, your, or whatever it might be that you're thinking, well, I'm waiting for God to take me out of this situation or this circumstance. And the truth is, what you need freedom from is your failure to think right. See, what we learn from Jonah is that his thought life, his feelings, his faults, and his failures, they rob him of the joy of knowing and serving God. And so here's our thesis, and then we'll, we'll pray like I promised, because I need it. Here's the thesis. A life of meaning, is, or key point, a life of meaning and purpose begins with learning how to agree with God even when it's hard. Are we at the key point yet? No, we're not there yet. Okay. That, or do we already pass it? Is it up there? Well, you can write it down. See? You, you got it. You know, there's, there is a problem with our thought life, and that's what the key point addresses here. See, all of our, our best and worst moments of faith begin with our thoughts. They do. Um, and what, and what I, I mean by that specifically is this. In the moments where you're full of faith and you're in Christ's will, well, that began with a series of thoughts, right? That began, began with a series of surrenders in your mind, a yielding of your mind, a yielding of your thought process, right? And all of your greatest failures, they begin the same way. They begin the same way, and that's what the key point addresses. But our thesis is, and this is what we're going to look at as the whole of Jonah. You with me, Jacoby? You look like you had a long week, bro. You with me? All right. A life of meaning and purpose begins with learning how to agree with God even when it's hard. Even when it's hard. We have to agree with God because there's safety there. That's where the safety is. And we've got to learn not to be double-minded. And that's the thing that really that a lot of people are struggling with is what James talks about when he talks about the, 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 the wavering of thought that so many of us struggle with. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Wherefore... Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end uh, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you in, uh, is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. And while I'm praying, you pray in your heart for the brother or sister that you know is struggling with these, with these very thoughts. Who? Okay. Heavenly Father, Lord, I need you desperately. I'm, I mean, I'm already, I think I'm already botching it up here. And uh, I need you. I need your spirit to communicate the seriousness of calling ourselves Christian. And, and it, and it, and it began in a moment. It began with a thought. It did. It was a thought. And then we attached our, our faith or our belief to that thought. Jesus Christ, you died for our sins. And you, and you rose again to set me free. And my, my thought adores that. And my heart adores that. And so I put my faith in that. And that is how it began for me. And that's how it began for so many of us. God, but what we need is the power of your spirit to drive and guide, the power of your word to, to drive and to guide our thought process every day, that we might, be, might continue in the freedom that you've promised us. See, we're comfortable, and, and you know this, we're comfortable, I'm comfortable, Lord, with bondage. And God, I, I need to be set free from the prison of my own thoughts. Because if I remain there, I will surely disobey you. 
and I will fall out of fellowship with you, which is my greatest fear. And I will live an unfruitful life, which is my greatest fear. Lord, help us to learn to submit our mind, our thoughts, our heart to you. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jonah chapter 1, are we ready? Verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness is come up before me. Okay, so what's going on here? God is angry. He's furious. He's furious at a group of people called the Ninevites. Now, the Ninevites uh, were people of a city in the Assyrian nation, the Assyrian kingdom. Nineveh was was the the center place, the the major uh, uh, area of governance for the country that we regard as Assyria, okay, which was a controlling power at this time, a ruthless people um, of of the 700 B.C. That's this time frame, okay? And so these people, uh, uh, there's a lot I can say about Nineveh. And again, I don't want to focus my attention on this type of content. But the, but the people of Nineveh were, were um, wicked in almost every regard. Now, it was a pagan city. It was a heathen city. And they worshipped many different gods. Okay, But the gods of their primary focus throughout their history were Ishtar and Asher. And, 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 and they would go as far, even at times in their history, to sacrifice children to these gods. I would say that's pretty wicked. That's pretty evil. And what we know about Nineveh is that around this time frame, frame about 785 B.C., Assyria was still uh, uh, trying to gain footholds in different regions, and it was, it, was a growing, it was a growing kingdom. And they had conquered the northern part of Judah, okay, which is the part where Jonah came from. And so Jonah would have been very familiar with the, the ex, uh, exploits of the Assyrians, and he would have seen them conquering his friends, families, neighbors. He would have seen the death toll. He would have been familiar with them, and as you can imagine, hated them. He would have hated the Assyrians. They were a powerful people. It had great wealth, and, and with great wealth comes great convenience and technologies. Supposedly, the walls of, of Nineveh, of that city, were 100 feet tall. And 40 feet wide, it was a city of military might. The idea is that a 40-foot wide wall could have chariots running in both directions like a thoroughfare at all times. Pretty powerful, pretty amazing. Nineveh, Nineveh was a might in the world. And, and the Jewish people, they hated them. They hated them. So, you can imagine... When this message comes to Jonah, that he is to go to them and warn them of God's judgment. That there might be some trepidation, there might be some resistance to that idea, right? Because he hates these people. He hates them. Now let's talk about Jonah for a moment. Jonah was a prophet, okay? It says the son of Amittai, a native of Gethsephor. He was the fifth of the minor prophets who prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam, okay, which was a time of great prosperity in Jerusalem. Okay? And so here's the deal. Uh, Jonah was used to prophesying in a very positive light. No one likes the hard message, do they? Okay? 2 Kings chapter 14 talks about Jonah. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath under the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gethephra. So Jonah was used to preaching a message that was very positive. All right, When he, when he was given this, this call by God to go and preach this hard message to a hard people, there was resistance immediately in his heart. It was unlike anything he had ever been asked to do. And so what does he do? What does he do? He flees and he runs. Now, it's funny, if you look at the story, look, look at it. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. All we know is that God wants him to go to Nineveh. 
That's it. It's a fairly ambiguous request as far as we know, the reader. We don't understand anything about the situation other than God that, that God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh, right? So before we even discuss the fact that he's escaped, I want to address his mindset. See, the book doesn't start by addressing Jonah's, Jonah's emotions. It doesn't tell us that he hates the Ninevites. It doesn't tell us that he's prejudiced against them. It doesn't tell us anything. It's left ambiguous and undefined for us. And the reader is left asking the question, why disobey? When he takes off running, we have to ask ourselves, well, what's that about? That seems random, doesn't it? Are you guys with me? It seems random. What is going on in Jonah's heart? What's going on in his mind? And as the reader, you're reading that and you're asking yourself, what could be, why could he be doing this? What kind of person has a knowledge of God, his power, his authority, and still runs from him? Are you seeing the, you seeing the application here? See, I think, I think this is pertinent for Kaya. See, in the last month, I have witnessed firsthand several people who've previously communicated in their words and their actions, that they wanted to be disciples of Jesus Christ and serve him only to turn and flee, to run away. And so when I sit down with these people, I ask them the questions that you can imagine anyone asking. A pastor might ask anybody these questions who's struggling in their faith. I say things like, well, what's going on? What's going on? Tell me what's going on in your heart, in your mind. Tell me what's going on. What is it that you're looking for? It's a fair question, right? Addressing people's motives. Who's been influencing you? Can you tell me who it is that's been influencing you? You see this, li this line of questioning how this works? Who's, who is it that you've been hanging around that's g getting you to think this way? Because before you saw God's word for what it is, and now suddenly you don't see that anymore? What are you afraid of? Explain your fears to me. I want to hear it. And generally in those situations, I'm not even ready to give a response. I just want to hear this person articulate what it is that they're struggling with. And guess what? So often what I hear is, I don't know. A person just completely unable to define the terms of their flame. They don't know. They just feel this way. And it's left ambiguous. And oddly enough, that's true in the story with Jonah, too. We see the words of God come to Jonah, and yet, seemingly, with no explanation for why, he takes off running. But what we learn later on in the book is that his motivations were related to his own prejudice. Right? That's what we get into later, is we find that, that God's calling on his life displeased him. And he resented it. Let's jump over to Jonah chapter 4 for a minute and we'll give, you, we'll give away the plot line here a little bit. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. This is after Nineveh repents, right? Sorry, I, I, Nineveh repents, the, the city repents. I'm, I'm, I'm like giving away the story. If you've never heard the story. Okay, I, I, no one loves the guy that ruins the movie, right? Okay, but here, here I am. I've got to, I've got to tell you. That eventually Jonah gets there, he preaches the message, and, and guess what? The whole entire city repents. It's a pretty amazing thing. They repent of their sin. Now, now but what I want to point to you here, the, the thing that we need to look at here specifically is Jonah's heart. Because even after Nineveh repents, he's still begrudging. He's still resentful. Listen to his heart here. He was angry and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Okay, now this was the saying we didn't hear. This gives away that thing that seemed ambiguous. When I was yet in my country, therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better, it is better for me to die than to live. Okay, all right, so we need to understand this real quick. Jonah acknowledges the fact that, that God is good, and he, he has no qualms with that. He acknowledges that God is merciful, that God is kind, and that he is willing to withhold his hand. Nineveh 
deserved God's judgment, deserved it in every regard, okay? They had met the threshold of mercy. He de- they deserved for him to just strike them down. And what he says is, God, I know that you're merciful and you're willing to repent yourself, to withdraw your hand from the judgment that you know we deserve. I see that. I have no problem with that. I just think you're unfair. Because you know how Nineveh treated us. And you're you're asking me to do something that you know I don't want to do. Now I want to tell you that sounds like a lot of us. See, like our, our issue isn't with Jesus. Our issue isn't with salvation. Our issue isn't with his mercy. Our issue isn't with his his kindness. We dig all that stuff. We love that about Jesus. The problem is that he's asking me to do stuff I don't want to do. And for a long time now, I've identified myself this way. And I hear what the Bible has to say about who I want to have sex with or what I want to smoke or how I want to act or who I want to treat this way. I hear all of that. I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to be what Christ has called me to be. I love him. He's cool. He's kind. He's generous. All that stuff. I get it. And I love that about you. But I'd rather die than do what you've asked me to do. And that is the reason many of us flee. That is the reason why many of us want to turn away and run. It's common for us to be angry at God's requests on our lives, isn't it? I mean, you know it. Every one of us has struggled when the request comes and it comes up against our predilections or our preconceived ideas. We're quick to say no. See, when God says, I want you to obey my command, how often do we ignore him? That's the easiest thing to do, isn't it? Is to ignore him when he's telling us something. See, when he says that we have sin in our life that needs to be dealt with, a lot of times what we do is we get offended. We get offended. I'm offended that you're asking. And this is the thing. is it It gets put on us, doesn't it? Right? As, the, as the messenger of Christ, as the Bible study leader, as the discipler, doesn't always get put on us. Right? Like, you're the, like you're the bearer of bad news. Oh yeah, by the way, stop sleeping with your boyfriend. Stop sleeping with your girlfriend. God doesn't like that. And then that person gets offended, and they put it on you. And you, you bear the burden of that, and that becomes difficult for you. But listen, what they're really doing is they're rejecting the word of God. Remember the situation with Samuel, where Samuel's really disappointed because Saul, the king, king Saul, doesn't want to obey the words of God. He wants to go against the words of God, right? Or, or no, it's the people. Sorry, it was the people of God, right? Israel wants to go, and they, and they want to find a king, and that king eventually becomes Saul. But they want to find a king. And, and remember Samuel's attitude was, In his heart, he felt like they were rejecting him. Remember that? When the truth was, what God says is, they're not really rejecting you, they're rejecting me. They're rejecting my word. See, a lot of times, when God asks us to submit to his word, the easiest thing for us to do is take flight. Here's what I want to suggest to you, is that while people's struggles are complex, I'm not addressing, guys, listen to me, I know it's complex. I know it's hard out there. Okay? I know that many of you were raised in a way that affects you every single day. Your home life, your, where you grew up, uh, emotional struggles that you have, experiences you have. I'm not, look, look, I'm not, I can't even possibly from the pulpit address everybody's complex and very real struggles. I can't do that. What I can do from the pulpit is apply a broad brush that principally addresses your issue. And here's what I want to suggest to you, is that ultimately the decision to disagree with God is a selfish one. No one wants to take away your situation, the hardness of the trial that you face, 
The decisions, no one wants to take that away from you. I get that it's hard. Let's go through that together. Let's trudge through that together. Let's get in the muck and the mire together as brothers and sisters, and let's fight that warfare in faith together. You understand? But what I want to say is that the decision to disagree with God is always the same. It's always selfish. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that the when we when we think in the wisdom of the world that it's always foolishness to God. And the things that seem foolish to us in the flesh are actually wisdom to God. Isn't that funny how we get things so twisted up? Because we're using our reasoning. We're thinking with our thoughts and not God. See, when our worldly motives disagree with God, we find ourselves at an impasse every time. And this is where a lot of us are at, and that's where a lot of our brothers and sisters were last week or two weeks ago or three weeks ago. They were at an impasse. And as a ministry, if we're going to be effective in our mission, we must start by calling upon God to change the very motivations of our mind and heart. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We can't, it's not good enough, good enough for us to just go along to get along and hope that we change along the way. We have to determine in our prayer life, to relent our mind and take on the mind and the heart of God. So here's our, we're going to talk about this in terms of prayer. Can we do that? So here's our key prayer. Here's the prayer. Set me free from selfish motives and mindsets that undermine your word. God, please, I beg of you. I don't even see these things sometimes. These thoughts creep up on me. These feelings creep up on me. My heart sometimes gets ahead of me. And I think in ways that I know I shouldn't. God, please change the way that I think. Please adjust my motives. Make them right. See, when you first became a Christian, you agreed. And you may have forgotten this. When you first became a Christian, you asked Jesus Christ to enter your heart. You agreed that because of Christ's sacrifice for you, it would only be reasonable for you to follow him with your whole life for the rest of your life. Isn't that the transaction that took place? Isn't that the vow that was made? Jesus, you did this thing for me. And I love you and, and, and I adore you for it. And I want to surrender my life to you. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. So then the question becomes, what right does a Christian have to ignore or be offended by or flee from God's will day to day? What right do you have? You made a vow. When you got, when you got saved, you made a vow to God that, that for good or for bad, in sickness and in health, you would follow him to the end. See, what God values is incompatible with Jonah's spiritual value system. So he gets on a boat in order to escape God's will. <laughs> Here's the question for you. What is the thing that continues to get in the way of you receiving God's will for your life? What is the thing that just keeps getting in the way, the thing that keeps nagging you, the, keep, the thing that keeps holding you back? I want to warn you that if you don't deal with that thing, if you make provision for your selfish motives, someday you too will board a metaphorical ship and you will sail away. And we won't see you. And you will be completely convinced that you've somehow escaped God's will for your life because you left, because you walked away. Christian, if you do that, you will be inviting a form of misery into your life that you just don't want. And that's a real warning. See, you're going to be inviting a storm into your life that you will, there's no way you could expect. See, because God goes after his. God goes after his. And if you gave yourself to him, if you vowed that vow, 
There ain't no turning back on that. He's going to collect on that. Now, here's the beautiful thing, and I don't, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I hate ruining the story. But man, he's gracious. Man, he's gracious. So we talked about selfishness. Let's talk about escapism and isolationism before we go. And I, 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 I look, I think that the whole entire series is probably going to feel like this. So prepare yourself in advance, okay? Prepare your heart before you come next week because I think this is how it's going to feel the remainder of the, of the series. We're going to address real issues. And the next one is how easy it is for us to escape and to isolate ourselves. And we know that we do this. And I'll say it, I'll say it, I taught for 10 years. And I know, I know college age and I know high school age people in this generation very, very well. I know I look old. I'm not that old. I'm a millennial too. <laughs> okay? Now listen to me. It's so easy for us to escape. Verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. That's a great word, by the way. Tarshish. No matter how you say it. You sound stupid. <laughs> Tarshish. So he went, and notice he goes down. down. Down's never good in the Bible. South, not good. Just know that. That's a little key for you. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof. There's a cost in there. He paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now listen, we laugh that Jonah was convinced that he needed to take a boat across the sea to escape God. Like we think we know better, New Testament believer with a finished word of God. You think you know better, you think you're so smart. You know what's real funny? He might have thought that he could escape God's will by getting on a boat, but you think you can escape God's will by putting your headphones on and turning up the music, turning up the volume, and you think you can drown out the voice of God. That's what you do. You think, you think, you're convinced that if you block that Christian's phone number or their social media account so that they can't message you anymore and ask you where you've been, that somehow you have done away with God. You think that because you don't, you're not going to come to church next week, that somehow... You've escaped God's will. If you work extra hours and, and, and you distract yourself, that somehow, somehow all of it will go away. And it's so easy in our society to simply walk away or hide when we disagree with something or someone treats us wrong. It's very easy for us to do in our divorce culture. In divorce culture, it's easy to divorce yourself from everything. When your parents got divorced, that's what you learned, right? Is it's easy to walk away. There might be some fallout, but whatever. I got to do me. Everything is optional. See, for those who walk away from church, from discipleship, from Bible study, they might be able to escape Christians. But they can't escape God. They might be able to escape you. They might be able to escape your voice. But you better believe that God is in hot pursuit. Now, I don't, I don't want to discount people's very real temptations to go their own way, to, to run away. Following Christ can be hard. I mean, it can. Everybody's had their moment where they've wanted to run. Everybody in this room has seen that at some point. And if you haven't, you will soon. It's hard. And there are times when God brings us to a crossroads. There are times when he'll ask us things that you don't know how to obey. You don't even know how to do it. And you'll be tempted to run. But here's the deal. We don't need to escape. No, there's no relief that comes from that, brother or sister. Let me plead. Can I just plead with you for a second? 
There's no reason to run away. That's not going to relieve whatever your issue is. It's not going to fix it. It might feel like it in a moment. It might be like that for a season, but you will not be able to escape the truth. Truth. The thing is, you don't need to escape. You need to decide. You need to decide. You need to make a decision. You need to make a decision to agree with God. See, we must recognize temptation for what it is. This is what it is. This is what every temptation is. It's a moment to indulge our fleshly desires and convince ourselves that God isn't good. At least not the way we want him to be. That's what every temptation is. It's a moment where our fleshly desires come up against God's goodness or his rightness. And I, I, I want to make an appeal to you. And it goes like this. You first, to fight this, the first thing you need to do is remember. The first thing you need to do is remember. Remember that our circumstances are not greater than our Savior's sufficiency. That's the first thing that we need to remember, is that our circumstances, whatever they are, even if our circumstances are just the way that we're thinking or feeling in the moment, okay, you with me? That those circumstances are nothing compared to our Savior's sufficiency. And you know where we first learned that? You know where we first learned that? Is when we decided to follow Jesus. Capture that for a minute. Capture that moment. When you decided that you were going to follow Jesus. Remember that? When you said, you're sufficient for my salvation. At what point did you stop, think, stop thinking that God is sufficient for every aspect of your life? He was sufficient for that, but he's not sufficient for, the, for, for your sinful predispositions, whatever it is that, that coaxes you from the pit of hell, that calls you to do the things that you, that you want to do in your flesh. He's not good enough to fight that war for you. When that shadow is follow, following you and at every turn, it, it creeps out and it wants to pounce on you, that thing that keeps holding you back, he's not sufficient for that. You know, when we read how the Apostle Paul responded to moments of adversity in his life, we're reminded that God is always sufficient, even in our darkest hour. See, see, God was sufficient for Paul in every beating that he took. You ever taken a beating for Jesus? Bet you you haven't. Every beating he took, every shipwreck he found himself in, every accusation, every misunderstanding, every betrayal, every abandonment, every temptation of the flesh, these issues didn't drive him away. They drove him to Christ. And he hurled himself towards him. He threw himself at the mercy of Jesus Christ, the sufficient one. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So the one that's willing to go to war for us, the one that's with us in every betrayal and accusation and misunderstanding, he's willing to fight for us. The only thing that's going to keep him guarding you is actually just you walking away. And choosing your wickedness. No, no, we, we, ought to, we ought to respond the right way. We made a vow, and it's our responsibility to be resolved to live in light of our decision. And so while we need to remember, the next thing we need to be is resolved. Resolved. When I say resolve, I mean the intentional decision to adjust our outlook to match God's eternal outlook. Our decision to adjust our outlook to match God's eternal outlook, and that's really hard for some of us. There may be resistance in your heart. But don't resist. Lean in. 
Now, how do we do that? How do we adjust our outlook to match his? Well, the first thing is, you should probably start by seeking biblical friendships. The friendships you know you need. That's, a, that's probably a good place to start. Look around. Who's got your back? Who wants you to live right? Who wants to hold you accountable? Who wants to say hard things? Who's willing to pour love into you? I know this room. They're here. Those people are here. So start there. Ask for help. Seek a brother. Seek a sister who you know will be there for you in your hours of darkness. Start there. Second, seek the words of God. By reading the Bible, you give God an opportunity to make an appeal to you in your heart, at your heart level and your mind level. That's what the Word of God does. If you open up, you know, some of you are wondering why that you face temptations every single day. And, and that, that correlates exactly with whether or not you're willing to spend time with God. The falling to temptation, the struggles, the difficulty. Yeah, but you're not even in the book every day. You're not even willing to hear his voice. Listen to me. If you spend time with God, it gives him an opportunity to make an appeal to your heart and your mind. Give him that opportunity. Oh, I don't know how to change the way that I think. I've had this struggle for a long time, and I don't know what to do, and I've tried all the stuff. No, you haven't even started at the starting line. The starting line is getting God's word into your mind. Don't pretend that you've resolved issues. Okay? And, and I, what I mean by that is a lot of you in here, you ignore the fact that you still have the issues that you had six months ago. And because you want to be here and you want to be a part, you just like, you just, I love it here. And, and, and that thing I'm struggling with, <laughs> I'm just going to pretend it's not there. And it's, it lays unresolved and we haven't submitted it to the authority of God's word. Don't do that. Seek the scriptures. Ask the hard questions. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's a really easy question, isn't it? What does the Bible say? Oh, I never thought about that. I thought I knew what it said. And I didn't like it, so. Right? The third thing is to seek God in prayer. Grappling with God requires dialogue, doesn't it? Notice that when God spoke to Jonah, Jonah had nothing to say in return. God gave the command. Jonah looked at him like, oh. Okay? Man, that's a, that's a jacked up thing to do. Instead of wrestling with God the way that Abraham did, the way that Moses did, the way that Jacob did, the way that David did, Jonah just left. I mean, there's other prophets, there's other men of God that we see who didn't like what God had to say either. They couldn't hear it. They didn't have ears to hear. I mean... God asked Moses to go and speak in front of the congregation of Israel. And he didn't even know how to do it. And God made a way. But it was because they grappled together in prayer. They went toe-to-toe. -to -toe. What do you mean by that? I can't do that. What are you talking about? God loves that conversation. Enter into that dialogue with him. Let him take you on. Prayer is the way we present our hearts to be changed. And verbalize our willingness for God to work in our lives. Here's a key prayer for us. And then we'll go. I'm, I'm going a little long. I apologize. Here's the prayer. Set me free from the tendency to isolate and escape when things get hard or confusing. God, please set me free from the tendency that I have to either isolate. And all of us know where we fall in. A lot of us, maybe we're escape people. Okay? Maybe we're escape people. Maybe we're isolation people. I, I don't know where you fall. But, but God, deliver me from the tendency to do that when things get hard or confusing. Instead of going to my friends, instead of going to the Word, instead of going to prayer, God, forgive me of that. Help me. Help me to not do that anymore. Help me to see it when I start doing it. When I see the signs, when I see the cues that I'm trying to take a step back and I'm, and I'm starting to head towards Joppa, God, open my eyes to that so I can decide not to do that and I can decide to press in and do the right thing. 
Help me, God. See, we are all susceptible at some level to the temptation to run and to hide when things get hard or when God is asking us to be stretched in our faith. And we must acknowledge that, that and, and determine that our flesh doesn't get to tell us the boundaries of our faith. Our flesh doesn't get to do that. It doesn't get to do that. If God is going to take our ministry and make it ascending ministry, I'm talking about Kaya right now, if he's going to take Kaya and make us ascending ministry, an evangelical ministry, a discipleship ministry, an Antioch ministry, if you will, then as individuals, we each need to surrender our selfish pride and our fears to God so we can receive the mission that he has given each and every one of us. What is it that's in the way? Uriah, if, if you guys could come up, let's, let's close in worship. I know that I've gone over like five minutes or something. Hey, hey, hear me. We can't afford to lose you. Now, now listen, I'm not saying, like, God can get the job done without you. Don't get me wrong. You're really nothing. You're really, ultimately, you're a, you're, you don't have anything. You have no might, no power. You're, you're very, very weak. You're as the worm, is what Scripture says. You, but I'm telling you, God wants you, and I'll go ahead and say it, I need you. I need you, and the people in this ministry need you. And listen to me, if your thought life is not right, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> it's dark. It's only a So listen, it's only a matter of time before we're standing on the shore and waving at you as you sail away. Don't do that to us, but more importantly, do not do that to God. He deserves everything, everything that we have, everything, everything. And whatever you got, it's not too big. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, let your... Do, do, do what you need to do in, in our lives and in our ministry. And set us free from ourselves. Because if we, if we follow our plan... We'll end up alone and hurting, without purpose, without fruit, and, and most sadly, without fellowship with you. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.